Well, it's uh, it's really a pleasure. Can you guys hear me okay? Now? Okay. It's uh, really a pleasure to uh, be here with you. Um, I know I speak for my wife, we haven't talked about it, but even being out here for like a half hour has been refreshing to our soul. Um, I mean, we're in Fairfax County, not the city, uh, but th this is just amazing to be out in the country seeing God's creation. So um, this is a blessing to us, and I hope it's a blessing uh, to you to hear God's word. And by the way, just having goats chase my kids around has been a real uh, memory for us already. <clears throat> And it's great to see so many familiar faces. Uh, a lot of you um, were uh, at Sterling Park with, with me and with our family, and it's also great to see so many new faces and see uh, what God has been doing uh, in your church. And uh, we love to hear at Sterling Park um, how your life as a church is going. We pray for you regularly, and uh, I bring you greetings from the church and the elders. I'm sure you guys are all familiar with the uh, spiritual song turned nursery rhyme, Dem Bones. Dem Bones, Dem Bones gonna walk around. And while it doesn't quite reach the frightening levels of some other nursery rhymes, like when the bow breaks, the cradle will fall, or ashes, ashes, we all fall down, which many think uh, refers to the Great Plague of London, it does explain in great anatomical detail how a skeleton can get put back together and reanimated. Perfect nighttime fare for the kids. But the well-known passage of scripture that inspired this song, Ezekiel's vision of the dry bones, is less one of fear and actually very much one of hope. And we're going to be looking at that passage this morning. So if you have a Bible, we'll be reading from the book of Ezekiel, chapter 37, as Jacob mentioned. We'll be in verses 1 through 14. And you can turn there or use your preferred Bible app, and we'll be reading that together in just a minute. But while you're finding the passage, let me provide just a bit of context before we jump in. So Ezekiel was, as you may know, a prophet of God and was actually a contemporary of Daniel. In fact, they were roughly the same age. And Ezekiel, like Daniel, was in exile in Babylon along with the rest of the southern kingdom of Judah. And so it's important to know that Ezekiel is prophesying to the Israelites who have been exiled as punishment for their persistent disobedience of God's law. So keep that in mind. And for the first two-thirds of the book of Ezekiel, with, with the Israelites really not taking their sin and punishment as seriously as they ought, and having false hope of an imminent return to their land, Ezekiel is prophesying messages of continued judgment against them, that because of their sin, Jerusalem would in fact be destroyed and their exile in Babylon would be prolonged. And when Jerusalem is indeed destroyed and Ezekiel's doom-filled prophecies prove true, the exiled nation of Israel is, as you might expect, despondent. They feel like everything is lost, that they have been left alone with no ability to ever go home. They feel, in their words, as we're going to read in a minute, cut off. But interestingly, the last third of Ezekiel's prophecies, where our passage lies, are mercifully filled with hope. 
even during the punishment that God himself had ordained for the Israelites, he wants his chosen people to know that there is hope. He has not left them. In fact, he has a plan to restore them. So let's read our passage. So Ezekiel chapter 37, starting in verse 1. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones, and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound and behold, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked and behold, there were sinews on them and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. One thing to uh, keep in mind about prophecies like this is that they often have multiple horizons of fulfillment. So in some ways, a prophecy might be fulfilled fairly immediately, whereas in other ways, a prophecy might not be fulfilled until the end of days when heaven comes to earth. And so while commentaries agree that Ezekiel was writing to the Israelites to give them immediate hope in their circumstances, there are other fulfillments envisioned here as well. And I think these different fulfillments are helpful for us by way of application because each of them tell us as the church, that God will bring life to his people. So I think we'll be helped by looking at our passage via three different horizons of fulfillment of this prophecy. First, the physical fulfillment for God's people. Next, the spiritual fulfillment for God's people. And lastly, the future 
fulfillment for God's people. So you could also think of three words next to those three points, restoration, regeneration, and resurrection, if it's helpful. So the first horizon we'll look at is the physical fulfillment for God's people. Physical as in real, tangible, and even in this case, geographical. And this is the nearest fulfillment in view. There is little question that the primary way that the Israelites, the original audience receiving Ezekiel's words, would have understood this prophecy is that they would be restored to the land that they had been taken from, that God would give them their land back, and that they would be made whole in that way. God would restore them. Let's look at a few verses that show us what's happening here. So right away in verses 1 and 2, we read that Ezekiel is experiencing a vision by the Holy Spirit where he is set down in a valley that is full of bones. And Ezekiel wants us to know by emphasizing with behold twice that there were very many bones and that they were very dry. So picture an entire valley. And this isn't just between two hills. A valley, as you guys know, is between two ranges of at least really big hills, if not mountains. So this entire valley is filled, filled with dry, dusty bones as far as you can see. Clearly nursery rhyme material. Now in our passage, God actually explains for us, this is great, God tells us what the subject of this prophecy is. Verse 11, he says, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. So the bones in this fulfillment represent Israel, God's chosen people. And what is Israel feeling after having experienced exile, then being prophesied to continually that they are going to continue to be punished for their sin and then hearing of the destruction of their home? Utter despair. They say their hope is lost better translated perish, so even their hope is dead. They feel cut off, permanently disconnected, right, from their promised land and, and even their God. They feel abandoned. They, they must have thought that God had forgotten them or that maybe he had even revoked his covenants. He's changed his mind. He's abandoned us. They feel as if they are dead, so dead that even their bones are dry. They feel deader than dead. They have no hope. So the front lawn of our house, most Julys, this one's been a bit better so far, but I'm sure it's gonna turn. Maybe you guys can relate. Our, our front lawn in July is usually not so good. With the scorching July heat, the blazing sun, and you know, frankly, somewhat inattentive homeowner. Areas, that's, that's homeowner, Jen, not, not homeowners. I'll just take the blame for that. Some areas of our lawn get so brown and dry that I start to feel bad for it. Now, here's the truth, that, that, that grass is alive. It comes back strong once the wetter fall season comes along and shows that it has been alive all along. But, oh, in July, if you came over, remaining six feet away for the time being, you would feel certain that I had killed my grass. And I'm sure if grass could talk, it would sound a lot like Israel. We are abandoned. We feel dried up, we are dead. And so this is, this is what Israel means when they say they feel like their bones are dried up. They feel dead. They're alive, but they're, they feel inside like they are dead. 
But God doesn't leave Israel in this state. Getting back to our passage in verses three through six, after a little back and forth, God instructs Ezekiel to prophesy to the bones. And behold, there's that word again. God says that he will cause breath to enter the dry bones and they will live like a second wind. And what happens after Ezekiel prophesies, the bones come together and flesh and skin cover them. And after another prophecy from God, breath comes into them and they do indeed live. And God tells Israel in verse 12 that he would raise them out of their proverbial grave, that state of feeling like the walking dead in this foreign land. He will bring them back to their land, their home. God, like the autumn rain to my brown grass, is promising to make the whole house of Israel feel alive again. He is giving breath, in this case, back to people who feel like they have had the life sucked out of them. He will show that he has not left them as he will restore them to life as a nation by bringing them home to Jerusalem, which he does, which you can read about in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. He is giving his people hope even in their circumstance. He has not forsaken them or abandoned them. They are still his covenant people. Israel will be alive again. So it would be easy for us to apply this to our Christian lives directly, right? And say that just as God restored Israel and brought them out of their difficult circumstance, that he will do the same for us. That in this life, God will take us all out of our predicaments and restore us to a life of happiness and strength. But we know, church, that God has not promised that. There's still depression. Some of us still have besetting sins. There's still broken marriages rebellious children, financial struggle, chronic illness, pandemic viruses. I mean, surely he's a God who can deliver us from all those things, but sometimes in his wisdom, he leaves us right in our trouble, doesn't he? Maybe for us to be disciplined like Israel, maybe for us to be desperate for him, or so that we will learn to rely not on our strength, but his. There's lots of reasons why he might leave us, but we can be sure, sure that he knows our predicament, just like he knew Israel's. He knows our suffering. And just like he showed Israel, he has not forgotten you. He has not abandoned you. He will deliver us from our troubles, but not necessarily in this life. And we'll revisit that a bit later. But, you know, there is a sense that he does restore us today, even while we remain in our difficult circumstances. We have hope as Christians because we know that our God is faithful, as he has proven time and time again, and which scripture reminds us of throughout the Bible, even in our passage, which allows us to do things like the Bible says, like rejoice while in our suffering, which is perplexing to anyone who doesn't know Christ to have a peace that surpasses understanding. So that's the immediate fulfillment of the prophecy. And that's what Israel likely would have understood it to be about. And we see that the prophecy came true in that regard. Not immediately, but pretty soon after. But there is another fulfillment that is in view. It's one that Jacob kind of alluded to earlier. And that is the spiritual fulfillment for God's people. Because when you read the immediate context 
surrounding our passage, it becomes clear that God is not just talking about a physical restoration here. He is talking about a spiritual renewal as well. So if you turn just a little bit back from our passage to Ezekiel 36, verses 25 through 27, which many of you will recognize, it stands right before our passage. And it says this, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So that well-known passage looks forward to a new covenant, a time when God would change the way that he dealt with his people. And given that immediate context, you can see that Ezekiel's vision is also showing a valley of dry bones that represents Israel spiritually, not just emotionally and physically. A people that are called unclean by God, a people that worship idols, a people whose hearts are like stones. Israel did not just feel dead, they were spiritually dead because of their sin. The law that had governed their daily lives could not save and had done just what it was designed to do, to reveal just how sinful they really were. And now these perpetual lawbreakers aren't just physically exiled, they are also exposed as spiritually exiled, if you will. But what does God say that he is going to do in the passage that we just read, Ezekiel 36? He is going to change the game. There was going to come a time when he would wash his people clean from their sins and from their idols. There was going to come a time when he would take the corrupt, wicked hearts inside of his sinful people, hearts that beat only for the things of this world, and he would replace them with hearts that beat for him. And there was going to come a time when he would place his Holy Spirit inside his people, a spirit that would help his people walk in obedience to his will, the very thing that they had proven incapable of doing. So Israel looked forward to that new covenant being described, but that time for us is now. This is how God deals with us today, giving people his spirit to dwell with them, with us, so that they can trust in him and we can follow his will. And when he gives us new hearts and puts his spirit in us, he makes spiritually dead people alive. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, which says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. With Christ, by grace you have been saved. And so our passage, God making dead bones live, is also a picture of God creating people anew. Jacob kind of made reference to this earlier as well. He's regenerating people. So as we look at our passage again, I think we'll notice that there is a lot of creation imagery here in Ezekiel 37, things that harken back to the opening chapters of Genesis. So notice, for instance, that much like in Genesis 1, when God speaks, things are created. 
Look at verses four and five in our passage. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. Just like in Genesis one, God speaks and things come to life. The bones live. I think it's also interesting how closely Ezekiel's vision follows Genesis 2-7, which says, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. So in Genesis, God formed man from the dust, and here in Ezekiel, he is reforming dry, dusty bones. In Genesis, the Lord, after forming the man, breathed the breath of life into his nostrils, and here in Ezekiel, he causes breath to enter the reformed bodies. He's recreating his people. That word breath can also be translated spirit. Spirit, And even within Ezekiel's vision, you see the same Hebrew word rendered both ways. The breath that God puts into the bones is his Holy Spirit which agrees with what God says later in verse 14. And I will put my spirit within you, he says in our passage, and you shall live. The breath that God puts in his people that causes them to live is the Holy Spirit. And just like breath gives physical life to us, the Holy Spirit gives us spiritual life. And so this is a picture of creation all over again, a recreation of God's people who once were dead in their sins, It's a picture of the second birth that Jesus describes in John 3 to Nicodemus. And then Paul says it clearly in the passage we read earlier, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. In Christ, that's what Paul says. That's how God did it. In Christ, how he ushered in the new covenant that Ezekiel 36 points to where he would dwell in his people and cause them to walk in his ways, that's when this horizon, the spiritual horizon of the prophecy, was fulfilled. Christ, the God-man, took on flesh, lived a perfect life, obeying the law that the Israelites could not and that we cannot. And so he was a perfect man who, although sinless, was punished on the cross for us and our sins. All our sins were placed on him and God crushed him as payment for our disobedience. And we now have from him the righteousness that God requires of us that we could never attain by adhering to the law and adhering to rules. And with Jesus as the perfect sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice, God changed the game. Instead of requiring subsequent sacrifices to pay for sins, Now he brings about true holiness in his people by giving them new hearts and putting his spirit in them. And so if you happen to be here with us today and have never trusted in Christ, the Bible says that you are spiritually dead. But if something you have heard this morning has struck a chord, maybe something's feeling something different, maybe you are being awoken, maybe you're being made alive. There is hope for you too. There is hope for people who don't know Christ. Jesus did not come to condemn the world, but so that the world might be saved through him. So friend, if that's you, I would urge you to talk to me or Jacob or whoever brought you. We'd love to tell you more about how you too can be made alive through Christ. 
And if you're a Christian here, this aspect of Ezekiel's vision should remind you of how sweet the gospel tastes. The dry bones in this vision were you and me as well. And you know full well that you did nothing to cause yourself to live. You were dead. It was God who breathed life into you and delivered you. And if you preach that to yourself every day, you are bound to fall more deeply in love with your Savior. This is an interesting thing. And because you did nothing to merit new life, you brought as much to the table as dead bones can. God gets the glory. And he emphasizes that in verse 14. Remember, uh, let's read verse 14 again from our passage. And I will put my spirit within you, which we've already talked about, and you shall live and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it, declares the Lord. So the purpose of him saving you, of him placing his spirit in you, is in large part to make known his glory, to show that he is powerful, to show that he is good, to show that he is to be praised and recognized as the Lord. In fact, if you read the entire book of Ezekiel, you cannot miss the repeated theme of God's glory. Even thinking back to the, the well-known uh, uh, passage in chapter 10 of Ezekiel's wheel, the four living creatures, it's a vision of God's glory, his omniscience, his power. And that phrase, then they will know that I am the Lord, which we just read, appears over 60 times in Ezekiel. Church, the point that Ezekiel is making is, let us not refrain from giving glory to our God who reigns on his throne because he is the one who delivered us from our sin and made us new creations. God gets the glory for his regenerate people. Okay, so we've looked at the restoration for Israel and the regeneration of God's people, which has come through the person of Jesus. And finally, and more quickly, our third horizon of fulfillment of this prophecy is the future fulfillment of God's people, our future resurrection. While the fulfillment in immediate view for the Israelites was what we already talked about, the, the, the literal return to their land, the resurrection is certainly foreshadowed here. The passage itself talks about God raising his people from their graves. He is giving life to dead bones. I think it's hard to not see a hint of the resurrection. But we also get a clue from the book of Revelation that shows that the resurrection is also in view. The last few chapters of the book of Revelation, which ends the New Testament and the Bible, in some ways seem to parallel the last several chapters of Ezekiel, starting right here in chapter 37. So we, we don't have time to give an itemized list, um, but in summary, Revelation chapter 21, if you'll remember, shows the new heavens and the new earth coming down. And an angel, if you remember, has John measure the heavenly city of New Jerusalem. And the last several chapters of Ezekiel, after our passage, likewise speak of Ezekiel being shown measurements for a temple where God will dwell with his people forever, as well as the city that it is located in, a city called the Lord is there. It's clear heaven imagery. So with those examples setting the parallel for you, if we work backward in both books, we read in Revelation chapter 20 about the resurrection of the saints and in Ezekiel 37, we read this prophecy of the dry bones. 
showing dead bones being made alive. And so when we see that our passage is pointing to the resurrection of God's people, then we see even more fully how this passage is also pointing to Christ. So when Jesus was crucified on the cross, he felt cut off from his father when all of our sins were placed on him and he cried out to God, why have you forsaken me? His dead body was placed in a tomb and like in our passage, hope seemed lost. Certainly the disciples felt that way. But he was raised from the actual grave. He was made alive by God for us. So his resurrection is called the first fruits of our resurrection. First fruits is the Old Testament concept of giving God the very first portions of the yearly harvest. Meaning before you saw the rest of what the land yielded for you, you were called to give the first fruits to God in faith, trusting that he would provide the rest. So Jesus's resurrection is a first fruits, meaning there is more resurrection to come a harvest of believers being raised to life. Listen to 1 Corinthians 15, 20, 15 uh, verses 20 through 23. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive but each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Note the certainty of the language there. The resurrection of the dead has come. In Christ shall all be made alive. So God alluded to it in Ezekiel and confirmed it in Christ. Death is defeated. We will, as God's people, live forever because of Christ's work on the cross and his resurrection. His resurrection proving that his sacrifice was sufficient for our sins and secured us life everlasting. So as we close, this brings us back to the application that we started with in a way. Have you felt like Israel, feeling like you are walking around this earth, in essence, dead? Have you ever felt cut off you ever felt persecuted or hopeless? Or like you're in a foreign land here, abandoned, despondent? I know, especially given the time we're living in with this pandemic, I bet the answer is yes for some of you, for some of that. Talk to lots of people who feel more anxious than usual, more isolated, depressed. Well, friend, we mentioned earlier that God doesn't promise that he will take you out of that circumstance. He offers us hope and gives us his spirit now to get through those circumstances. But resurrection is another place where we get our hope. It's the biggest hope. God promises that even if our circumstance doesn't improve, when our earthly exile is over, he will certainly take us to our home, to our promised land, our new Jerusalem, where he will dry all our tears. He will take away all our pain our enemies and persecutors will see justice. There will be no viruses. There'll be no anxiety and depression and feelings of isolation. There's no racism or political games. And we are gonna live with him forever. So our hope, Christian, 
is that death is not the end for us. It has no power over us. And what are we going to do in New Jerusalem for eternity? We can't know every single detail of how we will enjoy heaven because God hasn't revealed it all to us in extreme detail. But what we do know for sure is that we will glorify God forever there. Just as Ezekiel emphasizes over over and over, God will get the glory forever and ever from our worship of him. We will glorify him because he is the true king on the throne with the power to give life to dry bones. Let's pray. God, we do praise you. We want you to get all the glory, Lord. We we praise you because you are a God who restores. Lord, you are a God of hope. We thank you that uh, you have chosen to give life to your people this way, people who uh, rebel against you, Lord, but you didn't stop loving us. You never left us. You loved us so much that you made a way back uh, for us and gave us new hearts. Lord, so we praise you this morning for your word. We thank you for uh, Ezekiel the prophet and his words to the Israelites and to us, Lord. We uh, thank you that you restore, that you regenerate, and that you uh, resurrect, God, and that we have hope and, uh, and uh, a promise that we're going to ex- uh, live life with you forever and ever in our home. We love you in Christ's name. Amen.